I wonder if any of you have like a favorite dish, a favorite meal that you like to cook or something that you like to uh, buy at the Atlantic Superstore and pretend like you cooked it and, uh, and take it to family events or potlucks. Well, guess what? Next Sunday is your opportunity uh, to do that. We are for next weekend, we're doing something different. It's family weekend, which means it's a holiday weekend. It's a New Brunswick holiday called Family Day on Monday. And so next weekend, we're having a family service. And so kids are going to be with us. There's going to be a lot of kids elements that are going to be fantastic. And we're going to do potluck after the service. So bring your dish ready to share uh, for after the service. And then we're heading to Centennial Park to go uh, sliding and skating and all kinds of great stuff. So bring some extra clothes to, to stay warm. But, allons-y, voici la question. Are you ready? Here we go. Are you ready? Okay, are you ready? Here, here we go. You're like, uh, you're setting us up and you're like, here, here we go. Are you ready to study God's word today? Amen. Okay, man, I... I just have to say, before we get into our, our Bible teaching today, uh, during that time of worship this morning and hearing you folks sing, I mean, the stuff that, that our leaders do are, is, is so wonderful, but what really blesses my heart is being down front and hearing you folks just sing your faces off, lifting the roof for Jesus and worshiping and, oh, and I... I this morning, before I walked up here, I was just overwhelmed, overwhelmed with the sense that I am so incredibly grateful that I get to be part of this church. How about you? Isn't that true for you too? Amen. Okay. So we are in this series called Mythbusters. This is the fourth week in the series. And last week, we set up a myth that I said was going to take two weeks for us to cover. And so last week, the myth that we introduced was this, that nothing comes for free, you get what you deserve. That whatever you get in life, it's because you have to earn it for your, yourself. And we said what's tricky about this myth, what's hard for us to understand sometimes, is that this myth is generally true but it is not universally true. And so we looked last week all throughout the Bible and saw how, uh, how it shows that sometimes, you know, just because you're good, you don't always get what you think you deserve, that good things happen to, to bad people and bad things happen to good people. And Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 11 says, I have seen something else under the sun, that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise, or wealth to the brilliant, or favor to the learned. But time and chance happen to them all. And so we said that just because, you know, just because you study hard, it doesn't mean that you're always going to get the best grades in the class. Just because you go to the right school, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get your dream job. That just because you do, you know, all the things that society says, just because you try to be a good parent does not necessarily mean that your kids will always turn out great. And we talked about how this is generally true that you get what you deserve, you reap what you sow, but it is not universally true. And then we talked about what is universally true. And here is what is true, that the most valuable things in life are free. 
creation and, and nature, love and relationships, the gift of life itself. And these are things that you cannot earn. The, the most important things, the most precious things in life are actually the gifts that we receive from God. And so then we came to this conclusion last week. And once you realize this conclusion, it changes everything. Like it changes your perspective on life. It makes you so much more appreciative when you realize that whenever you get anything for free, it is because someone else has paid the price. And so we talked about a number of different examples of this, but I think the best example was the gift of life, that everybody who is here today, everybody who's with us online today, it's because you were born into this world. And you did not earn the right to be born. But just because it was free for you, that does not mean that your birth was without pain or without cost. Am I right, women? Amen. So I've been told. <laughs> just ask your mama that just because it, your birth was free to you, it does not mean that without, without pain or without cost, that it means your mother was the one who paid the price. And so as we move from this tr truth, let's circle back around. And, and I said that today we were going to see how this myth begins to play out in our lives. And the first thing that we see is that this myth is the driving force behind most religions. We need to realize that, that it, with the exception of Christianity, just about every other religion in the world is built upon this myth. What can I do to earn my way to God? What, what rituals do I need to keep? What sacraments do I need to perform? And, and in our small groups this past week, if you were part of a small group, you know that a lot of our discussion questions centered around this idea of karma that's so popular, even if people don't always call it that, that, that it really has become, even statistics show that the majority of people in our culture believe this idea that when you do good, that that is the, the means by which to bring positive energy back to yourself in the universe. In fact, in the Islamic Quran, one of the most important verses in the Quran is Surah 99, verse 6 to 8, because it talks about the day of judgment, how all of us, one day, the, the Quran says, will have to stand before Allah and that, uh, that, that there will be a weight or a balance of all the good deeds that you have done and all the bad deeds that you have done and that the good has to outweigh the bad in order to get to heaven. And so listen, it's not just, uh, it's not just Islam that this idea has permeated our society many times in ways that we don't even realize and affects our, our thinking sometimes, even as Christians. And so here's, here's what we found, that most people believe that being good enough is the answer, the answer to life. And even though this is contrary to, to the Bible, this is how many Christians think. And I get to talk with a lot of people about faith and God and, and, and life. And one of the things that I've, 
that I think that maybe as Christians, we should think about more seriously and be able to answer this question and maybe even ask ourselves is this question. That when you stand before a holy God at the end of your life, a holy and perfect and righteous God, and he asks you, why should I let you into my perfect heaven? What will you say? And most people say, well, the reason, God, the reason that you should let me into your perfect heaven is because I have tried to be a what? A good person. You've heard this before, right? God, I, I tried my best. I did the best that I could. But we need to understand that while that sounds like a good answer, actually, it is a really bad answer. And let me show you why. Because what, when God then turns that question around to you and says, oh, really? So you've tried the absolute best that you could? And remember, you're talking with God here. And God says, really, you, you did absolutely everything that you could. You never passed up any opportunity. You never had any selfish motive. You were never uh, selfish or, 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 or impure. You always did absolutely everything that you could to help other people and to prove that you love God. And so you would have to admit, well, God, I guess I, guess I didn't always do my best to be good and, and do good. And, and so then we move to the next defense and we say, well, maybe I didn't always do my best, but, but at least I did better than other people, right? Isn't this what, how we think? Because that's what we do as humans. We compare ourselves to others. We think that, you know, we think that what we have is good. My house is good. My car is good. My family. And then we see what somebody else has, and all of a sudden it doesn't seem so good anymore. We also do that in a positive way, or, 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 or in many ways it's negative. We compare ourselves to other people to define our own goodness. But here's the problem. We compare ourselves to the wrong people. <laughs> At least I'm better than Homer Simpson. <laughs> At least I'm not an axe murderer. At least I'm not Hitler. <laughs> In fact, try that excuse at work next time you mess up. Hey, I know I lost the company $2 million, but at least I'm not Hitler. Right? <laughs> See, God says you want to compare. Well, how do you compare to this? And out walks Mother Teresa. <laughs> and you're like, whoa, come on, God. Of course I'm not as good and kind and loving and and generous as her. But do you know the Bible says that even with Mother Teresa, that she is not good enough to earn her way into the presence of a perfect and holy God. In fact, the Bible says the problem is that our good is not as good as we think. So often, even when we do good things, it is marred by our selfish motives, that we are not as good as we think we are, and our bad is actually worse than we think it is. And so if, even if Mother Teresa falls short of God's perfect holy standard, then imagine how much trouble we are in. And in just a minute, we're going to see that this myth becomes a roadblock to truly knowing God. See, 
The God of the Bible is the exact opposite of every other religion. Jesus is actually anti-religion. Now, I know that sounds really weird, but, but let me explain. Here's why. Because religion is about earning your way to God. Religion is about trying to be good enough. You have to do all these things in order to get God to love you, to get God to accept you. And yet the message of Jesus is the exact opposite of that. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. Let's read it out loud together. Here we go. All together it says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Jesus said, you could never be good enough. You could never do good enough. You could never perform enough rituals to earn your way into the presence of a holy and perfect God. And it's so important that we understand that this is what makes Christianity so unique. See, every other religion is about man trying to earn his way to God. But the story of Jesus is actually about God reaching down to us to provide a way for our forgiveness, to help it to change us and transform us so that we can be renewed and remade and reformed in his image. Look at this, this next passage. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8 through 9 says, Though you have not seen Jesus, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. An inexpressible and glorious joy. Why? For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. In other words, instead of having to earn your way to some kind of vengeful and vindictive God. Instead, in the Bible, we see the story of a God who loves us, and it gives us inexpressible and glorious joy. You see, I think that's the difference between something that is a job versus something that is joy. I wonder if anybody here likes to go to Disney World. Anybody been to Disney before? Uh, Disney is a magical place. It has a magical way of emptying your wallet. It's, it's like a miracle. It just, there it goes. But my wife loves Disney. Uh, my kids love Disney. We've been a few times. And, and, uh, and what, one of the things that I like to do to amuse myself is to look at the difference in the, in the expressions on the faces of children versus the faces of the employees. Like, you know, all the families are walking around going, you know, it's a small world after all, Hakuna Matata. I can show you the world if you wish upon a star. And all the employees are like, great, another stinking day at Disney World. Not all of them, but, but some of them. And what's the difference? See, everybody is in the same place, but you have two different experiences between the visitors and the employees. Why? Because it's a job. For you, it's magical fun. For them, it's picking up trash, frying French fries, and earning a paycheck. 
And if we're not careful, that is what can happen in our relationship with God. You see, if we're not careful, we can get sucked into this, this myth and thinking like the world that somehow you have to earn this gift, that, that everything you have, it's because you deserve it. You have to earn your own way. And Christianity becomes more of a job than a joy. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 and 10 says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God. Get this. Not that we reached up to him, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. There was a time in my life when, uh, when I was 19 years old, when I went through a very difficult time in, in my relationship with my parents. Uh, they disapproved of some of the choices that I was making and the things that I was doing in my life, and it made me angry because I wanted their approval. I wanted them to say that it was okay. I wanted them to bless what I was doing, even though I was heading down what they saw to be a dangerous path. And you know, this is the problem that many people experience in their relationship with God. See, I had a hard time understanding that even though they disapproved of my choices, they still loved me. And I had a hard time distinguishing that. And in fact, that's what we see in our world today, right? People say, well, if you disagree with my lifestyle, then you don't love me. If you disapprove of my choices, if you, if you disagree with my politics, if you don't think like I do, then you must not love me. And listen, that is a lie from the pit of hell because the fact is God loves you no matter what. And, and we love you no matter what. But that doesn't mean that God wants to leave you the way that you are. That God wants to change all of us to conform us into his image, into his better plan, which is so much different than the way that the world looks. But I got so angry with my father one time that I, you know, I stormed out and decided I'm just not going to talk with him anymore. And later, eventually, I realized that he was not the problem. Eventually, I realized that I was the problem, that because they had disapproved of what I was doing, I had rejected their love. And later, once I got my head on straight, once I was able to look back and see how they had loved me all along, the whole time they had been there waiting with open arms, ready and willing to forgive me. And that's why the most famous verse in the Bible, I think, is John 3.16, because it gives us this picture in just one little verse, in just one little nutshell, the, the entire story of the gospel. John 3.16, everybody, let's read it together. And you can do a lot better this time. It was really weak, the first one we read, okay? I know you can do better. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So there are four words in this verse that I think sum up the whole thing for us. Let's, let's look at these four words. The first word, it says, God so loved. Everybody say, loved. 
It's amazing what we'll do because of love. God loved who? The world. That's all-encompassing. Everybody, you and me. And so he loved the world so much that he gave. He gave his son for us. And what do we need to do? Believe. And so what you see here in these four words is God reaching down to us. But what's really cool is if you read it in reverse order, if you read it backwards, you get to see with these four words from, from bottom to top how we are supposed to respond to God. Okay? So, so if you do that, how are we to respond to God? That what we need to do is what? Believe. To stop believing the lies of the world and all these things that do not bring satisfaction and to start believe, to believe the truth. And what is it? What, is, what do I need to believe that God gave the greatest gift? His son, Jesus, who died on the cross to take the punishment for our sins, the punishment that we deserve, which is death. And who did he give it for? The world. For anyone who will receive it. Even you. But it leaves us with the most important question. Why? Why would Jesus do this for us? Why would God do such a thing? And the answer is because of love. We say that a lot around here, don't we? Because love changes everything. You see, I think knowing that love is the very essence of God, once you understand that, you begin to see why there are so many problems in the world today because we fail to understand who God is because we fail to understand what love is. So often we think that love is sex. Love is fulfilling our desires. Love is what we see in romance movies and on TV. And because we fail to understand the depth of what love really is. We fail to understand the reality of who God really is. Here is love. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19 says, For you know that God paid a ransom. It's been paid for to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. Doesn't that sound like the reality of our lives? That we spend our whole lives pursuing emptiness, just chasing after all the things that, that have been handed down to us by this world that we think will bring satisfaction, and yet it never does. It just leaves us feeling empty. But Jesus paid a ransom for us. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was paid with the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. See, remember, our salvation, it is a gift. It's free, but not because it is of little value, but rather because Jesus is the one who paid the price. Because Jesus looked at you and he loved you so much that he said, you know what? I'd die for you. In fact, I already 
did for you. And so today, we are going to celebrate the sacrament of communion because it serves for us as the ultimate reminder of the price that Jesus paid to set us free. And so right now, the ushers are getting ready to come forward. And in just a minute, we're going to pray. But let me give you some instructions first. They're going to hand a tray down your row, and you can take a little piece of bread and a cup with some juice in it. And what we want to ask you to do is hold on to that until after everybody has one all around the room. And then I'm going to come back and we are going to receive that together. But understand that this is for believers. This is not just a little snack. This is a sacrament. And so if you're here today and you have not yet made that decision to surrender your life to Christ, First of all, know that you're welcome. You are why we are here. We love you, and we are so glad that you're here. But please just let that pass you by, because this is for believers. And nobody's going to look bad at you. Nobody's going to you know, go, oh, my goodness, I wonder what's going on there. If you're not ready to take communion today, just know that we're glad you're here. But the bread represents the body of Christ that was broken for us. The cup represents his blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And if you've never received that gift, if you have never done that, today could be your day. And so as we bless these elements, if you would join me all around this room in prayer, just close your eyes and spend a minute between you and God and search your heart and say, Lord, is there anything that you need to speak to me about today? If you're ready to make that decision and surrender to him just right now, say, Father, I confess my sin to you. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. And I receive that, for, that forgiveness. I receive that free gift paid for with his blood. And I invite you, Lord, to come into my life. Change me. I hold nothing back. Change me from the inside out. I need a whole new identity. I need a whole new perspective on the world. I need to see things through your eyes, Lord. And so I surrender it all to you. And so, Lord, as we take hold of these elements and prepare ourselves to receive them in remembrance of you, 
Lord, we invite you to speak into our hearts today as we remember your sacrifice. Bless these elements now. In Jesus' name, amen.